Hi, and welcome to the Medicine for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Stiff. I'm a dietitian turned physician passionate about empowering people to use their lifestyle as medicine. Many of the chronic diseases and cancers that affect our world can be prevented. I'm on a mission to provide you with evidence-based tools and education so you can implement realistic and sustainable changes into your life to combat disease, reach your health goals, and lead your best life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Let's begin this journey together. Hey everyone, I'm super excited to talk about today's topic. The title of the podcast is There is More to Medicine Than Medicines. So we're all about using lifestyle and behaviors to treat and prevent disease on this podcast. And I wanted to talk about some of the various specialties within medicine that do this very thing. So as I told you in the intro, if you you happen to catch that, um, when I was working as a physician, I started thinking, what are we doing? We continue to see these diseases that are rooted in behaviors and we treat them with medications instead of dealing with the harder facts of addressing lifestyle and behavior. I started to become a little jaded with medicine and a little frustrated that I might not be able to figure out what it was I actually wanted to do and how I could do it. So the first year after residency, I worked as a hospitalist and I just saw how much more this approach was needed because in the clinic, you see the patients as they're progressing through these diseases, and it can be frustrating to not be able to have the time and the resources to help them. In the hospital, we see them when they're at their worst, when people are super sick, and there are complications that could have been prevented from happening if something was addressed many years prior. And so after a year, I thought, I can't just keep putting Band-Aids on a gaping wound. I need to address what the deeper issue is with my patients, and I need to go back to doing clinic work and having this be my focus because I just couldn't stand how much I felt like we were not serving our patients. So this led me to explore some various areas of medicine to figure out what what specialty I could go into that would actually let me do the things I wanted to do. And so all of the approaches that I'm going to talk about today are things that you can do as a primary care physician, or they're things that you can go into where you can focus all of your time on doing this one specific thing. So I'm not an expert in any of these fields. I'll tell you which fields, and you'll probably be able to pick up on which fields I know a little bit more about and which I don't know quite as much about, but they're all areas that can kind of overlap and I think questions arise around who should I be seeing to deal with my specific problem. And to preface before we get too far, my children are home. I usually try to do this podcast when nobody is home because um, as some of you may know, I think I might have mentioned it earlier in a different episode, but I have three kids um, ages almost two to five. And so they can be a little spontaneous. And so I apologize if there are um, children in the background at some point or um, that interrupt us. But I think they're all safe and secure in the basement playing. So um, just a heads up in case that does happen. Please give me some grace. Uh, So anyway, I wanted to get started with the field that I resonate the most with, and I'm actually planning to sit for boards in this field in June. So this is lifestyle medicine. So you may have picked up that I'm super passionate about using diet and lifestyle to modify disease. And this is what lifestyle medicine is all about. I actually didn't even know this field existed 
So I practiced basically what lifestyle medicine is or, or attempted to, um, and I believed strongly in, about it. Um, but it wasn't until maybe six months ago that I realized there's even a board certification and a whole organization of amazing providers who do this very thing. And so lifestyle medicine um, uses diet and lifestyle to prevent, treat, and potentially reverse chronic disease. Uh, about 80% of chronic disease is due to diet and lifestyle, which is a huge number. Um, it just blows my mind that this can be a, a fact that proven in, in data, but yet we're not addressing it on a day-to-day -day basis. Lifestyle medicine has a very strong research base. Um, they use a lot of solid data and studies to support what they're doing, um, and they are very hesitant to advocate for an approach that does not have data behind it. So I feel very confident that if you see a lifestyle medicine physician, uh, that you'll probably be getting very high quality evidence-based recommendations. The main premise of using lifestyle medicine focuses on a predominantly plant-based diet, getting at least 30 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity every day, not smoking, minimal alcohol ingestion, and getting enough sleep at night. And so these are all things I feel very strongly about as well. Uh, while I am not vegan, and I'm sure throughout this podcast, you will hear me talk about uh, the cheese <laughs> obsession that I have, um, and I do eat eggs quite a bit. The focus is that most of the diet is plant-based. While many of the practitioners are vegan and do uh, believe in advocating for veganism, you don't have to be vegan. They want you to be eating mostly plant-based, but they understand that we live in a world where that can be challenging. So the more plant-based you can eat, the healthier, but it's not like it's all or nothing, black and white. It's not like if you eat an egg one day that suddenly all health benefits from the rest of the lifestyle approach are null and void. And so really, I still eat uh, meat, dairy, and eggs in moderation, um, and I will continue to tell my patients that they can, but the goal needs to be increasing the amount of plants in the diet. This approach also focuses a lot on motivational interviewing um, and behavior coaching, which can help patients and clients depending on what area this uh, is being used in, but it can help them be more successful because it gets at the deeper reasons why we do the things we do, and it really helps motivate so that you have a why for the behavior changes you're making that is so strong that nothing is going to shake that. And if you slip up once, you understand that there is some flexibility and that you're still able to stay on track. And so um, these providers have extra training in this area. So to read more about this, you can take a look in the show notes for a link that will take you directly to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and tell you all about what lifestyle medicine is. The next area I wanted to talk about is integrative medicine. So integrative medicine focuses on a partnership between the physician and the patient, and it addresses all areas of health and wellness. It integrates a variety of approaches that will address all areas of health, and so this includes mind-body medicine, herbal medicine, lifestyle medicine, Eastern or traditional medicines, and then also standard conventional medicine. The aim is to uh, treat and prevent disease with the least invasive approach possible, and they really emphasize health promotion and disease prevention using evidence-based medicine. This is an area that when you speak to a traditional practitioner about integrative medicine, they might give a term that it's quote-unquote woo-woo medicine or that it's not evidence-based, um, and they can be hesitant or even apprehensive to recommend it to their patients. 
But the truth is this field actually has quite a bit of evidence. Um, and there are a number of programs that use a rigorous evidence base to support the use of various interventions. While there may be some integrative providers who are against the use of any conventional medicine, most integrate the two fields together to find a way to, again, promote disease and help prevent further disease and even treat the diseases that people are suffering from. I think that all people could benefit from the use of different areas of integrative medicine and the patients tend to be referred to integrative medicine providers when the standard providers are having trouble treating patients' symptoms. So these are patients who have symptoms that aren't being controlled with conventional medicine and the providers are sort of up in arms and they're not certain what to do next. And so often this is when integrative medicine gets brought into the picture. I personally feel that it should be brought in sooner, but there's still a lot of work to do with our standard medicine system, and it's going to take some time for providers to refer to integrative medicine practitioners sooner. These patients tend to be very satisfied because integrative medicine providers, again, deal with all areas of health, so they tend to be amazing listeners, and they really focus on how can we make your quality of life better. And so... These providers have a huge toolbox of options that they can offer to their patients that have really low risk and can actually help the patients feel like someone is hearing them, while also help the patients have resolution of some of those symptoms that have been so bothersome for a number of years. As a side note, I'm actually um, enrolled in the August 2020 uh, group in Arizona to start the Andrew Weil Integrative Medicine Fellowship. I'm super excited because this is one of the most rigorous evidence-based programs that I could find. Um, and they basically look at each disease and really drill down on the data that supports the use of integrative practices within that disease state. And Andrew Weil is very well known in the integrative medicine world. So if you have any questions about integrative medicine, you can actually Google his name, Andrew, and it's W-E-I-L. He has a website that has a huge bank of data that will help you with figuring out if there's different herbal supplements or integrative approaches that you can use to augment the, the uh, conventional medicine that you're already receiving. The third field I wanted to talk about is functional medicine. So functional medicine is actually extremely fascinating because it looks at the biochemical workings of the body. So it looks at the body at a systems level and focuses on addressing the entire person and figuring out what the root cause of disease is. And we all know, at least I hope you know, and you will know after you've listened to this podcast enough, that if we don't address the root cause, we will never fix the problem, okay? This is so huge, and I just love that this is part of their mission because really this is where the money is. If we want to fix the problem with the health of our country, we need to figure out what the root cause of that problem is. We can't just put Band-Aids on everywhere. So functional medicine takes genes, environment, and lifestyle into account and does a full assessment of the patient. They tend to order a number of biomarker tests that have not been used much in conventional medicine. I personally do not know all of the data around these various tests. The limited experience I do have with functional medicine is that these tests actually have a lot of research to support them, but for some reason their use hasn't made its way into conventional medicine yet. Depending on the results of these tests, the providers will recommend a variety of dietary and lifestyle approaches to try to modify those biomarkers. In theory, this is an extremely low-risk intervention because, again, it's using diet, lifestyle, 
behavior changes, and sometimes supplements to augment the biochemical workings of our bodies as opposed to medications that tend to have more concerning side effect profiles. The patients that I've talked to who have actually met with functional medicine providers are super satisfied with the care they're receiving, and they tend to note very significant results when they do carry out the recommendations of the provider. The criticism of functional medicine that I've heard is this concern about a conflict of interest. Some functional medicine providers do recommend high-cost supplements or significant number of supplements that they may have a financial gain associated with if you buy them. So these might be providers who have their own line of supplements and then are recommending you consume you know, hundreds of dollars a month in their supplements that aren't covered by insurance. I don't think that the majority of functional medicine providers do this practice, and I think that there are a lot of really great-hearted providers who believe deeply about what they're doing, who practice functional medicine, and so I, I hope that these few bad apples don't make a bad name for the entire profession, because I do think functional medicine is rooted in a significant amount of data, just like integrative medicine, and I think that there's a lot of hope for patients who are suffering from chronic diseases and symptoms that aren't being relieved with our conventional medicine system. My hope is with functional medicine and the testing and supplements that they use is that um, insurance will start to see the data that they're providing and start to cover some of these services. It can be challenging for some people to afford a functional medicine provider um, because while the office visit may be covered by insurance, these additional tests and supplements are not. And so you have to have a certain amount of income in order to see these providers, which can lead to segregation of services. So on the podcast notes, you'll be able to see a link that goes to the Institute of Functional Medicine, and you can read all about what functional medicine is there. The next field I want to talk about is mind-body medicine. So this is focused on the integration of the mind and the body in the manifestation of disease. So this field is actually part of integrative medicine, but also has its own certification. And it's focused just on the mind component, as opposed to integrative medicine that focuses on additional components. Um, so this is actually a very old field. When you think of uh, traditional or Eastern medicine, there's actually a huge component of mind-body medicine within that. This field is needed by every person that I have ever met in my life. <laughs> so we all know how strong our mind is. The perfect example is you're about to go up and give a speech and your stomach starts churning and you start feeling kind of bubbly in your tummy and maybe you get a little hot or your heart's racing. This goes to show that your mind has control over the physiologic workings of your body. Many of the chronic diseases that I see on a daily basis are rooted in stress and previous traumas. And when we look at mind-body medicine, it actually gives us an opportunity to deal with that, again, that root cause. So not that every chronic disease is because of stress, but stress greatly influences the way diseases manifest. And they actually, it actually can even have an epigenetic effect on our genes and cause diseases to present earlier or, or in a different way. So mind-body medicine is focused on understanding our minds, how they influence our body, and then using approaches like meditation or mindfulness to really maximize how well our bodies can function. And now this does not only deal with stress. So let's say you're like, I'm seriously no stress. I'm like a butterfly in a meadow, <laughs> no stress here. 
there is still a place for using mind-body medicine. And that is with helping people improve their outlook on life and improve their cultivation of gratitude. And so there have been a number of studies that show patients who have chronic disease that have a positive outlook um, and feel more grateful for the, the little things in their daily life they actually tend to do better. So they respond better to treatments. They have a longer survival after the initiation of a treatment. They overall just view their life more positively. So their quality of life is better. And so I've never met somebody who said, I'm way too happy and it's really kind of cramping my style and it's not working for me. Most people agree that they could be happier and they could be more grateful for the day-to-day. So mind-body medicine is huge, and I, I hope to see it grow in its use in everyday medicine because I think that there's a huge opportunity where we can use very simple, low-cost mind-body medicine approaches to have dramatic changes on the impact to our patients. In the show notes, I have a link to the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, and you can read more about what mind-body medicine is there. The next field I wanted to bring up is preventive medicine. This is a huge field. It spans like everything you could ever imagine with public health. So from immunizations to workplace health to injury prevention to chronic disease management and prevention, it looks at a whole global approach at a population level and it focuses on the system level to take changes, sorry, to make changes to tackle these big issues. This field is rigorously studied, um, and it uses things like epidemiology, biostatistics, and systems engineering to modify behaviors and ultimately prevent disease. It has three subfields. One is public health and general preventive medicine. The next is occupational medicine, and the third is aerospace medicine. So my jam is the public health and general preventive medicine, and this is actually um, a board certification after an additional residency program, so it's quite rigorous to be um, in this specific field. Um, I probably won't obtain this board certification, um, but maybe one day. (laughs) These providers tend to focus more on um, working on the systems level in education as opposed to being a uh, clinical practitioner, um, but not always. The people in this field tend to focus on what can we do to set people up for success? So I'm going to give you an example of how this works. And I feel that this is extremely valuable for you to see the impact this can make. So environments around us dictate the decisions we make every single day. You can try to be like, I'm super independent. I do my thing. No one has any hold on the decisions I make. But you are surrounded by prompts that are going to nudge you one way or another. So my favorite example is a staircase. So how many of you have gone into a building and you can't find the stairs? I mean, I don't know if all of you are looking for the stairs like I do, but if you do find them, they're usually hidden in a dark corner, poorly labeled. And as you open the door, you question, can I go in this or is it just for employees? And what will happen to me when I walk up these stairs? Because there's like no one anywhere around and I could get jumped in these stairs. (laughs) And so it's not set up for you to want to use the stairs. That same building you walk into, there's a big grand elevator in the middle with these shiny silver doors, maybe some beautiful art around it, and everyone just funnels to the elevator. Now just imagine if you walked into a building and that big shiny area was actually the super bright open lit staircase. And it was like a big grand staircase with beautiful mural artwork along the walls, really nicely lit, and maybe some music playing. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people would 
walk to the staircase and take the stairs up the next flight. Especially since most buildings that people go into, they're not going up 10 flights. They're going up one or two. And so just imagine if it was set up like this. So many more people would be using their bodies to go up these stairs, which you might not think is a big deal. But when you think of how many people are using those stairs and how often someone is going to be using those stairs on an individual level, it really does add up over time. And then also think about how much energy is saved when we're not firing up an elevator to take us up to just one flight of stairs. And so then if that same place had an elevator that was nicely labeled for individuals who need the elevator for physical reasons, but you would be able to find it if you need it, but your focus would be on taking this beautiful staircase up to where you're going. This is the kind of stuff that public health and general preventive medicine can focus on in many places do in order to try to increase the activity of the general population. And so these are really big scale projects that I'm talking about here. And it can be challenging for companies and organizations to implement these because there's, as you can imagine, a lot of politics that go into making different decisions. So there are huge opportunities for change, but sometimes there are barriers to actually implementing those changes uh, because there's not buy-in from all of the parties. Now, this same approach is something that you can take in your everyday life, and it's something I've talked about on my blog before. Um, If you search crafting your environment on my blog, nutritionhealthlife.com, you'll be able to find a post about it. But basically, it's about crafting your little micro environment so it's set up for success. So this is having your exercise clothes set out the night before. So in the morning when you wake up, you see them and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to wear those. Or even going a step further and sleeping in your exercise clothes. Um, It means portioning out your snacks that have carrots and celery um, and apple slices or something all in a package so that when you're hungry, you can grab and go as opposed to the conventional grab and go that may not be as an alignment of what you want to eat. And so... If you read that post, you can read all about different approaches that you can make in your everyday life. And I have a checklist in there of different places that you can see in your day-to-day where you'd actually be able to try to make some small changes and craft your environment for your success. So if this is something that you think is interesting, you can read more about the general approach. Um, I have a link in the show notes from the American College of Preventive Medicine um, all about what preventive medicine is. And then again, you can check out my uh, blog post that talks about how you can use this approach on a smaller scale. The last area that I wanted to talk about is called complementary and alternative medicine. Now this field is actually extremely broad and it encompasses many of the things I've already talked about, but the terminology is very critical. And so there's actually two different fields within this field. And this field was created a long time ago, this name was. And I really think that it would do a lot of justice to the fields I've just mentioned if this field was actually separated into two separate fields, because I think that one can sometimes give the other kind of a bad name. And so complementary medicine is just how it sounds. It complements traditional medicine. So anything I just talked about, that can fit into complementary medicine. This is again about a a partnership between using what we know about medicine, and then using what else we know about what makes up complete health as opposed to just disease management, but you know, taking care of the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of somebody else. And so complementary medicine blends this together and finds a way to effectively treat disease that has a strong evidence basis. And I think that 
complementary medicine is so needed in our current healthcare system, and I really want to advocate for its use in day-to-day medicine. Alternative medicine is a touchier subject. So again, I am not an expert in this, and I am open to any feedback about the way I describe this, but alternative medicine is an alternative to, to conventional medicine. And so this would be if somebody decided that instead of undergoing any chemotherapy for their stage four cancer, they were instead going to treat it with herbs. So herbal supplementation can be a complementary medicine. There's a lot of research behind using various herbs, but it's complementary when it's used in conjunction. And so alternative medicine sometimes pulls data from something that's used in a more complementary approach and applies it to a solitary approach in the sense of only treating this cancer with herbs. And so this area can garner a lot of strong feelings from individuals on both sides. And I almost feel like this is how politics is viewed. So there's one side who follows things very traditionally, the way it's always been done, and is focused more on using medications to treat disease and requiring a very strong, significant evidence base before changing practice. And then there's this other side that is a little more based on the feelings and is focused on doing things quote-unquote naturally, but maybe not always having as much evidence to support it. And so these two sides butt heads all the time. And unfortunately, I think that this battle between the two sides has led to a very divided healthcare system and has really been a disservice to patients because it's not acknowledging that there is some merit to both sides of the equation. Now, as a physician who's trained in the conventional practice, I do feel there is significantly more merit to the conventional side of medicine, but I also think we can't ignore the fact that patients are wanting to take an approach that uses some alternative uh, treatments. But I think the key is complementary medicine. So it's bridging this gap between the two and finding a middle ground that effectively treats disease, but then also allows for exploration of low-risk behaviors and interventions that can help supplement those conventional approaches. And so um, this field can obviously become very heated very quickly, and there's a lot of money changing hands in this field. And I think that is what fuels this discussion even more. So um, in the show notes, I'll link the study that NIH released but $34 billion were spent on CAM in 2007, which is over 10 years ago. So you can imagine that number is dramatically higher now. Um, It's just that's the most recent data by the time they actually collect all the data and publish it. So that's actually the most recent release. Um, But so it's just amazing to think $34 billion were spent in 83 million adults spent that money. What's crazy is that is a third of the adult population in the U.S. So money speaks and it's very clear that there are a large number of adults who actually are interested in these complementary approaches and our conventional medicine system needs to listen because this is what patients want so there's a list of all of the different complementary medicine and alternative medicine approaches out there that georgetown put together that lets you do your own research and learn more and see what it is you want to do for your own health care and so that will be linked in the show notes as well 
So I think that's all I have. Somehow my children were able to leave us alone for this podcast. I can hear them getting a little more riled up in the background. So um, I don't think I have much more time, even if there was more to talk about. So I hope that you found this helpful. I'm open to any feedback. If you personally have used some of these approaches and you feel that I did not represent them in um, a neutral approach, um, please let me know. I'm Like I said, I'm still learning about a number of these fields and I would love to learn more. Um, and if you have any other questions or things that you would like to hear, please head over to my Facebook page um, and leave some comments there. So my Facebook page is um, Nutrition Health Life, and there's a link in the show notes for that as well. So thanks again for sharing this time with me today. I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Be well and take care. Bye-bye. to broadcast correct information, I am still learning. The views expressed on this podcast are solely my own based on extensive experience and research. The views of this podcast are not those of any organizations that I am currently or previously affiliated with. If you have any concerns about views or opinions expressed in this podcast, please contact me directly at lynn.stiff at nutritionhealthlife.com. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another, and I am simply presenting my views on how to Use diet and lifestyle approaches to improve your health. By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice or to treat any medical conditions that either yourself or others are experiencing. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Do not ignore or delay obtaining professional medical advice because of information accessed or otherwise obtained from or on behalf of Nutrition Health Life LLC or Lynn Stiff MD.